Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. How many of y'all know Sean? Can you give Sean a big, big hand? He's been such a, come on church, I want you to stand up, give him a big hand. He's been such a pillar, been such a pillar in our region. He's done so much for the region with Youthquake and so many other things. We love him. Lydia, Lydia, his, his daughter, is here with us today. We love you, Lydia. And, and Church of the Redeemer, we're excited. We're excited about Good Friday. Yeah. Y'all wait till you hear this message. You're going to be running out of here with your head on fire. Okay. Don't, don't oversell it. Okay. This is going to be the best, most powerful, <laughs> most anointed message you have ever heard. Now we need the Lord. In Jesus' That's name. Right. Don't worry. Our, our church knows, you know, they say under promise and over deliver. I over promise and try to deliver. So you're on safe ground. Give it up for Sean one more time. Go ahead. Thank you, guys. Uh, you can go ahead and be seated, and uh, as you're sitting, you mind if I just pray real quick? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together today. Lord, and I pray that in these next few minutes that our hearts and minds would be open to you, that you would speak to each one of us through your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you may or, or may not know me. I, I've, I grew up here in Jacksonville. I graduated from Inglewood High School, or as we used to call it back then, Ingleweed. And uh, that's, that's where I went to high school. And uh, met my wife, Barbara. We've been married 27 years. I met her at Bible College because they say, they say that Bible College is like a shoe repair store. You go to get your soles worked on and you leave in pairs. And so that, that's what happened to me. I met Barb there. We've been married 27 years. We have three kids. Uh, Gabriel is our oldest, Lydia, who Pastor Soval just mentioned, she's uh, our middle child, and then my youngest is 18, his name is Josiah, he's in Tampa this weekend at a soccer tournament, and uh, you know, one of the things about our kids is I have learned so much about unconditional love and the love of God and how much I fall short. Human love is not unconditional. I mean, I got three kids, I love them all most of the time. And, and I was talking to Lydia one time when she was doing some stuff I didn't want her to do. And I said, Lydia, you know how we're supposed to not have favorites? She said, yes, sir. I said, right now you're in third. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That, that did happen, but I was just kidding. So I so appreciate Pastor Stovall and Carrie and the staff here at Celebration Church and the impact that this church that you have had on this city for many, many years in ways that you know and in ways that you don't know. And I wanna tell you, your pastor has a pure heart. And I've told people that from the very first time I ever met Stovall many years ago uh, when they used to allow Youthquake Live to practice in their facility when it was over on Bay Meadows. And just um, from that time, he's just always had a pure heart. And not just what you see up here is how he is in private. And uh, I've been with him even, even in recent months where he's literally shedding tears over the church over this church and, and over this region, over the city. And I appreciate his dedication and commitment to unity. Unity is powerful, you know that? And unity is not uniformity, by the way. So you know my name, but I don't know your name. So on the count of three, everybody say your name, okay? One, two, three. Okay, good. I usually hear one wise guy that says, your name, because you, 
Now, what I just heard from you was melodic. It was, it was pretty, but it was unintelligible. So now on the count of three, everybody say Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. Now, none of you lost your individuality, your uniqueness, your personality. But what we heard was, that was unity. That's what unity sounds like. And I think most of the world around us hears that first sound. All this church noise. And they can't figure it out. And if we could just come together in unity and with one heart, one mouth, lift up one name. So, man, that's what unity is. Our churches don't have to look the same, worship the same, act the same. But with a heart of unity, we'll see Jesus lifted up in this region. And what we will see is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm here to talk to you today. The clock is counting down. And uh, I, I've got a lot to share. And Pastor already, man, he laid it out for us already. And what he already shared, we could go home right now and die new. It would have been enough, right? But I got something I did prepare, so we're going to go with it. So... Before I get into the message, today is Palm Sunday. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. And, um, but I want to start with, with the Great Commission. When, when Jesus stands up after he's risen from the dead and he commissions them, he commands them, and he, he sends them out to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But in Matthew's account of that, before he does that, he stands up and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. See, he's about to make an imperative statement. He's about to give a command and commission them, and they need to know by whose authority is he doing this. And Jesus says, you heard me preach. You saw the miracles. You saw me crucified, and now you see me standing before you alive. So now you know it's true. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. We need to understand that authority. And that's why Holy Week and what we're doing right now is so important. When we take time to remember, retrace, and re-enter the story and reflect on all the things that happen and all that it means, it brings us back into the reality of the authority of the person we follow. That's why this week is so important. It all means something. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. It all means something. Pastor Serval mentioned earlier Pentecost, which is going to happen 50 days after Easter. Pentecost is not a New Testament holiday. It's actually Shavuot. 50 days after Passover, the original Passover, was when God made a revelation. He gave it the revelation of his holiness to Moses in the giving of the law. That's Shavuot. On Shavuot, 3,000 people died. On the day of Pentecost is the revelation of God's grace and the giving of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people were saved. It all means something. It all matters. So that's why it's so important to take time and re-enter the story this week. They've done a great job putting together this devotional, which our church is also using. We're going through that same devotional with you guys. And as we take time and go back through that story, it, it, it reminds us of how every detail matters. Every single detail, when you go back through and retrace the story in the Mishnah, the Mishnah is uh, it's an authoritative collection of the oral teaching of the Torah. And there's a rabbi in the Mishnah, and he says this. He says, every person should read the Passover as if he himself walked out of Egypt. Not reading it as if it's a memory of what happened to our ancestors. We should read it as if we ourselves walked out of Egypt. Well, if that is true of the story of Passover, how much more true is it of the fulfillment of Passover? And taking time to go back through that story and remember it all. 
It's our story. We read it as if we were there. That's why this Friday, when we do Good Friday, is going to be so powerful. When three churches come together to simply reflect on the things that Jesus said from the cross. It's going to be dramatic. It won't be like a service that you're used to. And the service is going to end in silence. And we will leave in darkness until we come back on Sunday. When we celebrate the resurrection, it's going to be powerful. So I'm going to read to you in just a moment from Matthew chapter 21. And when you, uh, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one-third of their Gospel takes place between Palm Sunday and Easter. That's how important, how significant this week is. John's Gospel, over half of it takes place between Palm Sunday and Easter. That's how important this week is. Taking time to really remember this week is so crucial. It is the center of gravity of the entire Bible. The Old Testament points to it. The New Testament points back to it. That's why this week is so critical. So we're going we're gonna to go through that. Detail is important. When you think of somebody that gives attention to detail or a place that gives attention to detail, what do you think of? What's a place? Maybe Disney? Like you think of the detail, you go to Disney and there's like a, they have a little, uh, the bushes are, are shaped like animals. And you know, you walk through a certain area and in the old days, somebody would throw a cigarette down and all of a sudden you turn and it's gone. How did it get gone? Somebody's there sweeping up, walked away, you didn't even see them. They give such attention to detail. Detail matters. I think of a place like Celebration Church. Uh, Lydia and I or were just, we were so uh, amazed at the detail here and how everything is thought through and everybody cares and everybody serves. It's such, a, such an amazing, it, it, it honors the Lord, right? Well, God gave a lot of attention to detail and even the detail of the things that are happening in this week. Let me start by reading Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. I think you'll have it on the screen also. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. Then the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and the ones that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And then the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So we refer to this as Palm Sunday because in some different accounts of the gospel, it talks about how they were waving palm branches or they were laying the palm branches down. And what was really going on in Jerusalem that day? We're going to look at this in just a moment because this was, they didn't refer to this as Palm Sunday. We're going to read this in Exodus in just a few moments. What's going on here and why are so many people gathered in Jerusalem on that day? Because according to Exodus, this is what is called Lamb Selection Day. This is the day the families are gathered there to select the lamb that's going to be their sacrificial lamb and have them approved by the high priests. That's what's going on. As Jesus rides in on Palm Sunday, that's what's happening. 
as if God is saying, here is the lamb I selected. Right? John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the backdrop as Jesus rides in. And yet, so, so many people missed it. How could they miss it? How could they miss what was really going on there? It's, it's very possible to, to miss the point when you're doing something like that or when you're a part of something like that. You get so caught up in everything that you miss it. But how could they miss it? How could the Pharisees miss it? How could the Sadducees miss it? How could the Essenes miss it? How did the Zealots miss it? That This is what's really going on. And I want to submit to you this. They missed it because their interpretation of Scripture was influenced by their own expectations. See, here's, here's what we need to learn. And I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here. We need to hold on to our discernment tightly. What they discerned from Scripture was true. We're going to see in just a moment the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, they were all correct. What they discerned, their impulse from Scripture was true. But their interpretation and how, how they expected it to look is where they missed it. So many times we're too quick to hold on to our interpretation. What we need to do is trust our discernment, hold on to our discernment tightly, but hold our interpretation loosely. I'll give you a quick example from my own life. Uh, Jerry Williamson is here. He's the president, his wife Beverly, the president of Go To Nations. Years ago, I was a student at school, at a Bible school they had started. Every time the founder of that Bible school spoke, I had this feeling, I'm going to be the vice president of Go To Nations. Now, I'm 19 years old, and that guy doesn't know me from Adam's house cat. Right? But every time he spoke, I thought, I'm going to be the vice president of GoToNations. I don't know anything about being a vice president of anything, but I had this strong sense. Well, guess what? I never became the vice president of GoToNations. But that guy that was speaking, the founder of GoToNations, I became a part of a di discipleship group he had. And he said, eventually, hey, we're going to be planting a church in Ponte Vedra. And we would like you and Barb to consider coming and being a part of that team to help us plant that church. And so Barb and I went, and I became the youth pastor and then the associate pastor. I, 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 that wasn't even in my frame of reference. What I was discerning was a draw to a relationship, and I was forcing it through the only frame of reference I had at the time. There was no Redeemer Church back then. The only frame of reference I had was, was the ministry he was a part of. And so what we need to do, what I was discerning was right. My interpretation was off. Hold your interpretation loosely, but hold your discernment tightly. And when you see these guys, the Pharisees, what they discerned was right. Their interpretation was not right. So there were basically four schools of theological belief at the time of Jesus. The Sadducees, and they were looking for an aristocratic king from a royal line from the tribe of Judah to, to come in and set up a royal kingdom. That's what they were looking for. The Pharisees, they were, look, they were the legalists of their day. They expected that righteousness would come through the law. The Messiah would bring righteousness and judgment. The Essenes, they were a, a pious, a monastic community, and they believed that the kingdom of heaven would be realized through personal piety, that we needed to separate ourselves from the natural world. The Zealots were looking for a military coup to overthrow an oppressive government. And they were discerning these things from Old Testament scriptures and prophecies about Messiah. They were all right. It looked different than they thought it was going to look, though, right? He, and so, so as they gather around that day, and as Jesus is coming in, they're all shouting, Hosanna, glory to God, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're shouting that, but what they're really shouting is what they wanted him to be. 
They were really, they were really, those palm branches, the palm branches that they were waving was really symbolic of their own expectations. And they're, they're praising him for what they wanted him to do. And when it looked different than they thought, then they quickly turned on him. And the shouts of praise were the same people shouting crucify him. Right? And so, and, and the palm branches weren't just random branches, by the way. That meant something. They weren't allowed, they didn't have flags. The palm branches went all the way back to the time of the Maccabees. It was sort of a, it was, it was a, a symbol of liberty and freedom. And, and they, they, that's what they were expecting. It was mostly the zealots that had these. Right? And so, are we gathering in this morning and, and we're singing praise? But are we, are, we, are we really waving the palm branches of our own expectations? We're going to end this service in, in a little while, or at least this portion, and I'm going to encourage you to hold on to your discernment about the Lord tightly, but let's lay down the palm branches of our own expectations and just allow it to be what the Lord desires it to be. The Messiah did come to show that he was the king of kings. He did fulfill the law. The Essenes were right. The kingdom of God is not of this world. The Zealots were right. He did overthrow the kingdom of darkness. So what they discerned was right, but what their interpretation, that's where we need to hold on to it loosely. Okay, when you get disappointed, by the way, and that's what happened is they were disappointed with Jesus. You're disappointed because you have unfulfilled expectations. Disappointment is nothing more than unfulfilled expectations. When, when I come home occasionally, I walk into the front door of my house and there are occasions that I walk in and I get disappointed. And the reason is I had an expectation. Maybe I didn't even know I had it until I feel disappointed. I walk in and I get disappointed, why? Because I was expecting that I would walk in and Barb would come running to greet me and she would look so beautiful and she would kiss me on the mouth and she would give me a sweet tea and say, sit down, let me take off your shoes. And here's, here, and that has never happened in 27 years. Instead, I walk in, and there's laundry piled on the couch. There's, you know, the kids got, I wish they were quietly playing in their room, but they're running around, and it's not, and they're arguing, and, you know, Barb's on the phone, dinner's not even started anywhere, and so I feel disappointed. And then Barb sees me, and she gets disappointed. <laughs> You're not really supposed to laugh at that one. <laughs> Man, I was hoping for somebody else to come in the door. It's you again. No, no, she gets disappointed because she's ready for me to come home and finally have some help around here. Instead, I come home and go, what have you been doing all day? <laughs> yeah, you guys are very interactive. I appreciate that. So here's my point. If you feel disappointed with God, it may be because you had an expectation you weren't aware of. If you feel disappointed in the church, you probably had an expectation that you weren't aware of, and it might not even be realistic. Because we're, we're, all, we're all human, we're all gonna make mistakes. So, so we need to lay down those expectations. Exodus chapter six, God makes some promises to Israel about freedom, about what he was gonna do for them. And they almost couldn't even hear it. They'd been in slavery for so long, they didn't even understand the thought of being free. They couldn't even really hear it. But God makes four promises to them. The promises of Passover. I know, I know Pastor uh, Paul Wilbur has, has spoken about this here, and so has Pastor Stovall. Those, those four promises are, are reflected in the four cups of Passover. 
I'll, br I'll bring you out of Egypt. I will deliver you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. He makes those promises. And then Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go so that they may worship you. Not just let them go so they can go live what, however they want. Let them go so they may worship me, right? That's what God says. So if Moses says that to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says no. And then from chapter seven through 11, there's this showdown. God in a showdown with Pharaoh. And one by one, these plagues come on Egypt. And those plagues weren't just random things. Like, why did God give them lice? That's the best plague. I mean, you know, frogs? Because all those things were tied to the gods of Egypt. God is showing his sovereignty over all things until the final one when he requires the death of the firstborn. And he says to Israel to sacrifice a lamb and to place the blood on the doorposts of their home. And as the angel of death comes through and he sees that blood on the doorpost, he will pass over, right? That's, what, that's what's going on. That's what that's all about. Obviously, this is all leading us and pointing us to Jesus. He is our sacrificial lamb, and we apply by faith his blood to the doorposts of our own heart. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, we're going to pick it up here. Tell the whole community of Israel... On the 10th day of the month, each man is to select a lamb for his family, one for each household. So that's what's going on as Jesus rides in. They're gathered there to select a lamb. And God, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. In the, in the New Testament, 104 times it refers to Jesus as the lamb. John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. The apostle Paul's entire context for recognizing Jesus as Messiah is the Old Testament. He was a Pharisee. He understood the scriptures. And after the revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus, he began to see how all this time it was there and it was pointing to this. Yes, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Revelation chapter five says, in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise and glory. And then in verse four, it says, if any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Guess what? Our household is too small. We gotta share the lamb, right? We share we, as churches, but even as, as individuals. Easter's coming up. What a great time for you to invite somebody to church. There's two things I want to say to you here, as a, just as a pastor, something I'm sure Stovall would say, uh, and, and he probably has said it, but I can say it to you as a pastor too. Two things to do this week to really take this, this, this piece right here and make it personal, to share the lamb. Invest and invite. Invest in somebody around you. Invite them to one of the events, Wednesday night, Friday night, Sunday. Invite them to something with you. They might say no, but they might say yes. Simply invest and invite. People all around us are in darkness. They're hurting, they're hiding, they're pretending that everything's okay. They post things on Facebook to make it look like their life's all great and it isn't inside. They're, they're so lonely. There's an ache of loneliness inside of people. If we would just take time to, to pray for them, that, that their eyes would be open and to invest in them relationally. Now, everywhere Barb and I have lived, Barb has taken time to invest in our neighbors around us, everywhere. Years ago, we moved into um, Dolphin Cove when we were kind of still newlyweds. We lived in Dolphin Cove out, out in Ponte Vedra. 
And um, when we moved in, there was a couple that lived across the street from us, an older couple there in their 70s, named Sai and Sue. And when Sai found out I was a minister, he told me, he said, I don't believe in that. I'm an atheist. I believe in science. I believe in business. I'm happy for you to be a minister. Just don't come bring it. I mean, like, this is like, hi, nice to meet you too, you know? <laughs> I was like, okay, yes, sir. But here's what happened. Barb began to build a relationship with them. And if she made a casserole, she'd make two. And she'd take one to Sai and Sue. If she made a pot of chili, she'd make two. She'd take one to Sai and Sue. If she was going to Walgreens, she would call Sue because people in their 70s always need something from Walgreens. <laughs> and so she said, she would call them. I'm going to Walgreens. Would you like me to pick something up or would you like to go with me? So Barb builds this relationship with them. And then in the year 2000, I was invited to serve on the, on the Billy Graham committee. I know, Stovall, you were around a part of that too back then, but I was on the Billy Graham committee. And uh, I was in charge of the, the youth portion of the, the big Billy Graham crusade they were gonna do. Well, here's what I discovered as being a part of that committee. They do these pre-crusade rallies building up to it. So they had, a, they had a men's rally. Mark Brunel spoke at the men's rally. They had a men's rally. They had a youth rally. And I understand, I understand what a men's rally or a women's rally or a youth rally looks like, but here's what I found out. They had a senior citizens rally. I'm a youth pastor and I'm like, what is that like? I mean, I'm like, I'm trying to picture what is a senior, you know, they up there with their walkers going, we're not gonna take it. No, we're not gonna take it. I was trying to imagine what is this like? So Barb and I hear, but the guest speaker at that senior citizens rally was Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. And so we went and invited Cy and Sue. And we said, hey, we're going to go to this. It's at the Prime Osborne. It's not like at a, a church deal. And we're going to go hear Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, talk about, you know, what, what made his life successful. Would you guys like to go? Cy had just finished reading a, big, a business magazine that had featured Truett Cathy. He says, sure, I, I'd like to go. So I took them that morning. I took them to the, to the senior citizens rally. And to my amazement, it was a rally. I mean, they had lights like you guys, man. And they had the Chick-fil-A cow was throwing out like coupon books and they were with their canes, that's my coupon book. I mean, <laughs> they were into it. Loud music. Then Truett Cathy gets up and he gives a message and, and he says, hey, listen, all the decisions that I ever made that led to my success, the most important decision I ever made had nothing to do with business. And he talked about making a decision to yield his life to Jesus, to, to begin a relationship with God by putting his faith in Jesus. And he said, if you are here today and you would like to begin a relationship with God, would you raise your hand and let me pray for you? And they did, they did the very Baptist, every head bowed, every eye closed, which I disobeyed. I half obeyed. Does that count? I did one eye closed. And I watched Cy lift his hand in the air that day. Now, I believe that Sai's life was changed and, and the journey, he, he died one year later. And I believe his journey was changed because, simply because Barb took time to invest. I'm not saying you gotta do it the way she did it. You don't have to make a casserole every time you do that. But the point is, look at the people around you 
invest in the relationship and invite them to something. Celebration has a lot of great things you can invite them to. Invite them to one of the events happening here. Certainly it's easy to invite them to Easter. According to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, 80% of the people that come to faith in Jesus, that make a decision to follow Jesus, do so through the influence of someone else, a friend. Not Not because they saw a bumper sticker or a podcast or it's, it's through the influence of a friend. Invest and invite. Everybody say that. Invest and, invite. Invest and invite. The lamb is to be shared. Romans chapter 10 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then can they call on the one they not believed in? And how can they believe in one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? We're not saying you have to preach, them, preach to them. You invite them. Still all will preach to them. Right? So just get them here. Just get them here. My favorite story is not in my notes, and so I apologize. I am going to end on time because Stovall made that very clear that I would do that, <laughs> at least in this service. Um, Mark chapter 2, there's a story where they bring a paralyzed man to see Jesus. You might know the story. What it says in that story is that Jesus was preaching in Capernaum, and there's such a large crowd gathered, they couldn't even get in the house. And it says, some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. So how many were there? At least five, right? It said, but it says some men came carried by four of them. And there was four of them because they had to carry that mat. Everybody had a corner. If they let go of the corner, the guy rolls off on the ground, right? So they gotta, each one has their corner. But when they get there, they, they rip the roof open and they lower him down to, to, to where, get, get where Jesus is. And here's what the Bible says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't say when Jesus saw his faith. So you can infer from that story that he's out there begging, doing his normal thing. He's not wanting to go see Jesus. They're like, you guys know what? What would happen if we took that paralyzed guy to see Jesus? I heard he spit in the mud and healed some blind guy. What would happen if we took this, this guy? We should totally do that. Let's get up, let's go, let's go take him. Because if it was his idea, the Bible would say when Jesus saw his faith, There are people all around you that are paralyzed just like that. They're paralyzed because they've been hurt in the past by church. They're paralyzed because they just don't know. They're paralyzed by their fear or they're paralyzed by just their ignorance. They need an encounter with Jesus where they can hear those words. Hey, listen, your sins are forgiven. Now take up your mat and be whole, right? And so we gotta be the ones like that group of some men that go get them and bring them. Invest and invite. Get them here so they can call on his name. The next part of it says that, that the lamb was perfect. Chapter 12, verse five, the animals you choose must be without defect. And the, am was, the, the lamb was examined and, and found to be without blemish. And this is one of the things that Jesus got so mad about in your devotional uh, that celebrations provided for you, uh, either a hard copy or on the app. You'll see that tomorrow, Jesus goes in and clears the temple. Because what's happened is they were taking advantage of this moment and exploiting it. So his families were coming in and saying to the priest, here's the lamb I, I have. And they're like, no, no, that was not good enough, but you can buy one of ours. One of the ones that we raised. And so they were exploiting it. That's why Jesus was so mad and he runs them out of the temple. And we're gonna see tomorrow in your devotional that we're the temple. And we welcome Jesus in but there's still some things that need to get cleared out of the temple, 
right? So Jesus was exa- examined and found to be without fault. The Bible says that he, his enemies could find no fault in him. His enemies could find no fault in him. I, I can't even get past my family. They could find fault in me. No testimonies, Lydia. His enemies could find no fault in him. The Bible says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Pastor mentioned that when he talked about the, the matzah being unleavened. That Jesus was without sin. Yet, on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's who Jesus is. This is all real. And it all means something. And the fact that it is all real changes everything. Jesus was our lamb. Verse six, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. In Leviticus 17 and according to Levitical law, it is the life of the creature that is in the blood. I have given this to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life except that was a temporary sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice as an eternal being, as the Son of God, was once and for all sacrifice. No more sacrifices needed. (laughs) Isaiah says this, prophesying of the Messiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for, for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Guess who Jesus is? He's the lamb that was slain for us. When you, when you receive communion, that's what you're entering into. You're remembering that. Jesus says this in John 6, and I apologize, I I added this late, and so after I sent my notes in, um, I added this, so you don't have this on the screen, but it's John chapter 6, verse 53 through 59. Just bear with me uh, one or two more minutes. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, that's a hard thing to hear unless you understand Passover unless you understand what's going on in Exodus 12, verse seven, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts of the lentil of their homes in which they eat it, and they shall eat the flesh that night. Verse 10, and you shall let none of it remain until morning. This is why in some liturgical sacramental churches, they try to consume all of the, all of the leftover communion bread because it goes back to this, you shall leave none of it till morning because they're, they're understanding that's what's going on. 
Here's what I want you to know as I wrap up. Jesus fulfilled more than 300 Old Testament prophecies. 29 of those prophecies he fulfilled on the day of his death. But listen, not only did he fulfill prophecy, he continues to fulfill his promises to each one of us. What needs do you have today? Where do you need the power of the Messiah in your life? To overcome some addiction, fear, to forgive someone who has hurt you, grace and strength to walk through difficult circumstances, in your health, in your marriage, your career. Would you guys stand with me as we get ready to wrap up here? When you understand the incredible detail, no, listen, no detail has gone unnoticed. No detail of your life has gone unnoticed to God. You matter to him. You're the, you're the reason that he came. We'll talk about this Friday night, but when Jesus was celebrating Passover that last night, when he says, I've longed to have this meal with you because now you're about to see how it's all, it's all pointing to me. According to one gospel account, he never drank the fourth cup. He drink, drinks the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. The promise is I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And hours later, they would see his arms outstretched upon the cross and the judgment of our sin placed upon him. But after he drinks it, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. He didn't drink the fourth cup, why? Because the fourth cup is the promise, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And that promise is still being fulfilled. We're a part of that promise. We're gonna drink the fourth cup with him. So, so knowing that and understanding that and seeing how all these detail matters, these details matter, that you matter. Today, can we lay down the palm branches of our own expectations at the feet of Jesus? Unlike those in the story in Matthew 21 that I read where they were laying down palm branches and saying Hosanna because what they wanted him to do, what we're gonna do is lay down our expectations. What we know of him is true. He is the Messiah. All authority in heaven and earth is given to him. And even if it doesn't look like we expect it to or hope to, we're gonna to continue to follow and serve and place our trust in him. Can we do that today? Can you lay down those expectations? I wanna lead us in a prayer and the pastor is gonna come and I just want you to repeat after me. I'll give you the words, but you pray it and you mean it. It's not like a abracadabra, abracadabra magic formula kind of deal, but I'm gonna give you words, but you pray to mean it in your own heart. Every single one of us here have sinned. Every one of us have disobeyed, fallen short, turned away, rebelled. We've all done it, so we're just gonna admit it. We don't think we're holier than anybody else. We're gonna admit that we've all sinned. Because the Bible says, man, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're gonna pray a prayer of confession and then a prayer of surrender to him. So repeat this after me, but you pray it and you mean it. Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned against you in my thoughts, my words, and my actions. Have mercy on me and forgive me through your son, my savior. Lord Jesus, I believe you lived on this earth. You died for my sin. You rose and now live. I yield to you. The Holy Spirit, fill me with power and passion 
to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.